0: Hello to all, this is Milton Rosenberg, and thus this is the Milt Rosenberg Podcast. My guest tonight is William Fogley, a political scientist who uh, is the author of a startling and in many ways a delightful or um, uh, charming, but to some it will be very annoying, new book titled The Pity Party. What is The Pity Party? You'll find out very shortly. Um, uh, William Fogley, I want to begin. Uh, with something that uh, uh, will not be uh, untoward for a man with a Ph.D. from Loyola University right here in Chicago. You are now at the moment uh, in your setting in California. We'll talk about that later. But I quote from um, Corinthians 1, um, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 13, um, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. Um, The greatest of these, indeed, is charity, Hmm. and yours is, in a way, a book against, uh, or at least uh, positioned against the concept of charity as used politically in contemporary America.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, not to pick a fight with uh, St. Paul, um, but I think that uh, in modern usage, uh, compassion, empathy, even the simple concept of kindness have become politicized in ways that are um, uh, not healthy for the republic in, in several ways. Um, you you started a very uh, interesting place by quoting scripture. Um, the uh, let's talk a little about etymology. The the word compassion is a Latinate word that means literally to suffer together. Um, the the word pity is uh, a word um, that has been in the English language for. Um, several centuries now, but is derived from the older concept of piety. Um, So I think that what has happened in our modern secular world is that um, uh, the the, the, uh, the pity has uh, become what's left of piety when the cosmological questions about ultimate meaning and heaven and hell and earth and life and death are sort of moved off stage and all we have left is this simple instinctive emotion of uh, responding to the suffering of another. Um, We need, if, if we're going to make those emotions beneficial rather than dangerous. Um, we need to find a way to uh, um, envelop them in, in, in broader moral and social concerns. Compassion can't do all the work we're asking of it.
0: Since I uh, started with a quote from uh, uh, the Pauline Epistles, and since you responded with some etymology, let's do a, one other little etymological task. What is the meaning of originally of the word charity. Uh, in Latin, it's caritas, I presume. I think but yes. what meaning did it have uh, 2,000 or more years ago?
1: I'm going to treat that as a rhetorical question, I think. <laughs> I'm guessing you know the answer, and I, I suspect the answer is something— Yeah, I, I know that in some um, um, modern Bible translations, it's simply uh, offered as love. Is that not correct? Yes,
0: indeed it is, yes. Though know, the men who put together the King James Version uh, used charity. Yes, yes. What the original Greek was from which they were working, I'm not sure.
1: Um,
0: Be that as may, that's enough. That's the etymological moment. Let's right, get right down yes. to it. Do you think the Democrats are flawed, profoundly flawed, by being false, um, falsely compassionate?
1: Well— uh, I wouldn't quite put it that way. I think uh, I think they, as they understand themselves, they are truly compassionate, truly caring. I think the problem itself is is more with compassion as a moral principle. Um, it, as I mentioned before, this idea of suffering together. In some contexts, it means we suffer together because we. We suffer from the same thing. This is sort of the moral logic of something like a uh, a support group. Um, People uh, sit down and share with people who really know what they're going through. Um, There's that kind of compassion there, but mostly it means that... I respond to your suffering because I feel bad myself. It, it 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 distresses me. And because it distresses me, I now have, in a sense, a sort of self-regarding motive to attend to your hunger, sickness, homelessness, fill in the blank. Where I think the uh, compassion, and particularly politicized compassion, becomes dangerous, is that um, because of this suffering together, because I now have uh, sort of skin in the game, as they say on Wall Street, I'm very tempted to define the correct response to your problem in terms of whether I feel good or bad. If we do something and and I'm feeling better, then your suffering sort of moves off stage. And and I'm tempted to say, well, um, we were suffering together. I feel better now. Things must be moving along nicely.
0: Is this reconcilable with what I take to be another very interesting utterance, not quite of the same status as the Pauline utterance, but still from uh, a modern uh, demigod figure, at least, Garrison Keillor, who says, quote, very simply, liberalism is the politics of kindness.
1: hmm Yes, that's right. Yes, I think... Um if If uh, life and politics were really quite that simple, we would have figured out uh, a lot of hard uh, things that still seem like hard problems would have been solved long ago um, if And if liberalism if liberals think that liberalism is adequate to the task simply by invoking the politics of kindness, a more uh, politically uh, impressive way, uh, um, spokesman uh, Barack Obama said a very similar thing uh, last year in a speech. He said, Kindness covers all of my political principles. He was quoting yeah. the late Chicago film critic uh, Roger Ebert. Well, um, kindness is a good thing, but. Politics is too demanding and too complex for that single good thing to resolve as many questions as uh, as this argument would have it do. Uh,
0: some other notable figures who appear more or less in public life and write a lot, particularly the first one I'm going to mention, Paul Krugman. Mm-hmm. Also, George Lakoff, an academic who presumes to sort of be a propagandist uh, or an advisor on propaganda for the Democratic Party, Uh, they both condemn uh, conservatives and the standard-issue liberal— or rather, the standard-issue conservative uh, and uh, standard-issue Republican, I would suppose, as being somehow lacking in empathy, as not having the common human connectedness that Democrats have.
1: That's right, they do. I think it uh, goes—I think it connects to something um, William Buckley said over 50 years ago now, Mm -hmm. that— He he said, it's been quoted many times, liberals are people who are always talking about the importance of hearing other points of view, but are always shocked to learn that there are other points of view. (laughs) Um, And I think that um, what we look at when when we see arguments like, uh, you mentioned them, uh, Paul Krugman's or George Lakoff's or... um, Any other sort of dismissal of the conservative viewpoint as mean-spirited, hard-hearted, harsh, um, is the belief that... if Conservatives, if, if, if we try to understand, uh, we, we on sort of my side of the aisle, try to understand liberals as we understand themselves, we run into this funny thing where many liberals say, well, you know, there's really nothing to understand. Liberalism isn't an ideology. It isn't a philosophy. It isn't a... There, no sort of elaborate intellectualization needs to be entertained here. Liberalism is just common sense and common decency, the, as as Keeler said, the politics of kind And if that's all that there is there, then to be skeptical about it, to be a an opponent of it to say, "Wait, I'm not sure this is going to work out the way you folks think it is." Um, that necessarily means that you are, you, Mr. Conservative, are a bad guy, a, a hard-hearted person, indifferent to suffering, and willing to see um, people dying in the streets or whatever for the sake of these these cold, pitiless abstractions.
0: Now, let me turn myself uh, into. A, a Democrat is going to argue with you—a liberal Democrat. Okay. It may be an effort on my part to play that role, but i am going to try to do it uh, with uh, uh, a close semblance of authenticity. Um, how can you in, say all
1: oh, role playing? I'll be the conservative then. All right. <laughs>
0: okay. uh, but look here: uh, when it comes to social programs designed to better the lot of the unfortunate and to take them out of the status of sufferers or at least reduce their suffering. The Democratic Party has done much more in the way of initiation of all sorts of programs to do that, whether in education or in health. And we've got an excellent case in point with regard to health in Obamacare that we're all focused on right now. Uh, And uh, in... um, uh, many other realms, including, of course, aid to um, mothers with dependent children, but without fathers. Um, and more broadly, the dole, not the former senator, but uh, the maintenance of the indigent or the uh, financially incompetent on government money. All of this has been initiated by democratic regimes, going back surely to the great model set by the New Deal under FDR, uh, rather than by Republican regimes. Doesn't that demonstrate that the Democrats are, as liberals in some sense, uh, the party of kindness?
1: Yes, indeed. There's no doubting um, uh, the, uh, the sincerity of uh, the, uh, the Democratic Party's commitment to these causes. Um, but I think two things need to be uh, added to the equation. First of all is that the most important uh, element of uh, relieving suffering and helping uh, those who are uh, in distress is an expanding economy, and this has been the the um not necessarily uh, the sufficient condition, but definitely a necessary condition for all of these um, uh, uh, forms of progress. Um, I point out in the Pity Party that uh, between 1890 and 1930, when there was very little in the way of the growth of what we would now call the welfare state, there was nevertheless very marked progress in all forms of of, uh, social welfare, child participation, and the labor force was down. Life expectancy was up. Take-home pay increased. Uh, the standard of living grew. Um, so, the um, uh, any discussion that that leaves aside the question of of uh, the the pie that we're going to divide is is only a partial um, um, uh, endeavor. The second thing I would say is that um, it is it is very true that. Um, The big initiatives in the field of social welfare legislation and programs have come from the Democratic Party. Around the world, they've come from the parties of the left. But where I think compassion has to be, uh, you have to put a big question mark after it, is that um, when these programs, as is not always, but is often the case, turn out to be not terribly effective to be uh, not uh, to to cost more than the benefits would justify, to scatter their benefits widely, rather than concentrating them on those who need them most acutely, Um, that the people who created these programs seem strangely uninterested in whether or not the programs are actually working as well as they should be. One would think that people who by their own account get up every day asking, what can I do to alleviate suffering would be deeply interested in the question of making sure that government programs do not squander dollars that could be spent uh, to help a poor person in some way.
0: So that <laughs> is what, what what in the social science trades is called evaluation research and you're saying evaluation research must be added on to any uh, significant program intended to rectify injustice or suffering.
1: It must be added on but I... I uh, we agree that far, but then I think that um, the, the problem is not uh, really that um, this research doesn't take place, but that it doesn't factor the way it should into the political calculations. It seems that the champions of a growing social welfare um, uh, uh, corpus for the uh, for the government, a welfare state, um, are more interested in... The next iteration of it, adding a new program, making bigger budgets for the existing programs than to the rigorous examination of whether what we're already doing is going off as well as it ought to.
0: Let me offer you uh, uh, an interesting uh, little story. I don't think you have this in your book. I've been rushing through the book. I only got it two days ago. Um, but uh, something that was also supposed to rectify and improve things for kids of uh, disadvantaged background was the television program Sesame Street, mm-hmm. which would get them earlier interested in uh, literacy and uh, just in general uh, increase their linguistic skills and their general interest in a wide world, even including uh, the Count who uh, is based on Dracula but loves cookies and mm-hmm. so on. Um, and uh, all of that was undertaken with strong support by, uh, as part by people. Yes, and with some real federal as well as other sources of uh, funding. Um, evaluation research was done. It was done by a guy I know. Tom Cook uh, ran it, uh, a social psychologist at Northwestern University. And the, they did a long, careful study. And the finding was that in the main, kids from that sector of the population weren't watching it very often. Uh, and the ones who really loved it were uh, truly middle class kids with educated parents. And they were having a lot of fun with it. But uh, those kids with educated uh, parents who didn't watch uh, Sesame Street were just as uh, adequate in language, just as adequate at school. In other words, the people who were producing it were having fun. I had fun occasionally when I looked at it, Uh but it isn't necessarily clear that it came anyplace close to meeting the, uh, the intentions that were originally behind its formulation.
1: Uh, yes, I think uh, this story could be uh, written with, with variations about a great many programs. Which, which others? Well, uh, I'm thinking of uh, what I've been reading lately about uh, the First Lady's efforts to uh, improve huh. public school diet. Yeah. Um, again, I, I think... Um, uh, it, 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 one of the problems is uh, moving from a sort of a controlled experimental situation out into the real world where there's lots of variables that can't enter into the laboratory. When people, when, when school children sit down and uh, uh, the, the researcher with the white lab coat is standing in front of them and says, you know, eat this or eat that, <clears throat> then you get a certain set of results. When you go out into the world where, where there's peer pressure, where kids uh, can uh, take stuff from home, you find um, uh, school children taking these carefully um, prepared lunches that have the right nutritional values and throwing them in the garbage so they can eat their bag of Doritos and Oreos, because that's what they really want, you know? And you may
0: have one life-lasting effect, namely an aversion to carrots. <laughs>
1: Yes, it, it not only whatever you thought about it, it the taste and uh, uh, preparation of it. Now you associate it with the school cafeteria as well, and it's an even a, a harder hill to climb for good nutrition as an adult. You
0: you argue in the book that one thing that's wrong with these compassionate programs is that they're so focused on a particular group or a particular social sector uh, and their needs uh, that uh, very often these liberal policies uh, designed to uh, help some people will actually effect harm for others. What's an example
1: of that? Uh, I think affirmative action would be the first one that comes to mind. Um,
0: In education, particularly?
1: uh, Yes, I I think so, although one could say the same about um, uh, its role in hiring or in contracting. Um, Compassion being an emotion, it is sort of, um, it's powerful, but it tends to be ill-disciplined. We, we react to the suffering that's right there in front of us. But for political purposes, that's not very good. That's That kind of waywardness causes problems. We want a compassion that's sort of disciplined, that takes sides the way in politics you take sides. So it's necessary, if you're going to politicize compassion, to... Um, Uh, to take the position that uh, there is a a narrative, and there are certain sort of designated sufferers, and their suffering is the thing we're concerned about. They're the people. We're on their side. And that means that if if there's suffering that goes on, even suffering caused by the remedies that we advocate... That's not part of the equation. So the, the white kids who apply to uh, selective schools and are told that they can't get in with, with grades and test scores that would have made them um, uh, a guaranteed acceptance if they had a different demographic profile, we simply have to say to them in the name of compassion, well... Tough luck, you know. This is, that's, you have to um, break some eggs to, to make the omelets. This is a, 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 an odd and in some ways disturbing place for the politics of compassion to wind up.
0: I return to my role as <clears throat> a liberal critic of uh, your argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, quite simply uh, <clears throat> this. You guys, by which I mean conservative Republicans or libertarians or, or what have you, uh, have an easy out. You say, well, after all, in long range, what works best for disadvantaged people to get them closer and closer to real advantage, rectifying advantage, is essentially the free enterprise system, is the, is the market system. And uh, you can achieve more by just letting the market forces operate than you can by any social programs. That is a standard answer then for just about everything that agitates the, uh, the bleeding hearts, if you will, mm-hmm. of the liberals
1: well um and it's if it left at that i would say that um uh, you my my liberal counterpart here in this dialogue have have a good point um i would uh, i would not classify myself as a uh, libertarian in that regard in the sense that i think that um um, the market covers everything i think the market is is necessary i think it's not sufficient i'm not a, a conservative who uh envisions or 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 seeks out the abolition of the disappearance of the welfare state i think the government has a role to play to prevent acute suffering to uh assist people uh reaching for the, the higher rungs of the ladders of opportunity, but I think that these efforts need to be subjected to rigorous tests and not simply uh, embraced in an indiscriminate uh, fashion as the politics of compassion too often inclines us to do.
0: You know, my mind goes back to, you you use the term welfare state. Am I right? I've read this often enough that in a way the modern welfare state begins back in Germany uh, as... Erected by, or at least put into operation by, of all people, uh, der Graf Otto von Bismarck. The okay. famous Bismarck of, uh, of Prussian aggressiveness was also uh, the first real uh, political power dedicated to uh, healing the wounds and uh, equalizing uh, the distribution so as to make poor or unhealthy people uh, somehow relieved of the worst burdens.
1: I think that's right um, that's the account i've always read and um, and and from um, some critics uh, the, the welfare state has its critics on the left who say that uh, it has always um, had that um, uh, that uh, dubious provenance of being an effort to prevent um, true Proletarian revolutions. This is sort of the Marcus, Marxist, Marxist
0: Uh uh-huh, Right? Yeah. Uh,
1: that um, uh, it's it's a way of sort of uh, buying them off. Yes, buying them off, placating them, um, making things seem not so bad, and even when in in the spectacular uh, economic growth of of uh, in in the decades following World War II, there was the uh, this sort of Marxist idea then of repressive tolerance that um, that uh, the way the uh, power structure was perpetuating itself was make, by making life so comfortable and enjoyable that people didn't realize how miserable they were. <laughs> I think
0: there you're actually drawing from Herbert Marcuse, if I... Yes, that's right. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he did the book, Repressive Tolerance, or something like that. Exactly. Um, there's another interesting point you make about what's wrong with compassionate programs initiated from uh, the political left, and that is that they are usually focused only upon those uh, who need some help in our nation, but ignore uh, the pains and the perils and... Uh, uh, and uh, the, the needs of the rest of the world. But that's a strange point when we hear so much concern these days, just thinking about the Obama administration, about uh, disease in Africa and uh, about, uh, well, about the, the woes of Africa more than any place else, really.
1: Yes, that's right. I, uh...
0: that's a, and that's a distant place.
1: Uh, It's um, distant not only geographically But in terms of the power of Americans To to reckon what life is like there It's clearly much better to be a Poor person in a rich country than a rich person in a poor country. To be at the at in uh, the tenth percentile of the income distribution in a prosperous country like the United States means you have a standard of living far in excess of the person who's at the ninetieth percent of the income percentile of the income distribution in a in a poor country like the Democratic Republic of, of the Congo, where per capita GDP is less than a thousand dollars per year. So uh, uh, compassion, it's it's. Um, um, you know, there's this uh, anthem that I uh, quote in uh, the Pity Party uh, that was played at many Obama rallies in the 2012 election by Bruce Springsteen. We take care of our own, um, which sort of fuses uh, compassion and the welfare state and patriotism. But it um, there's there's no denying that there's something about that message that's a little bit um, particularistic and even if you press it, kind of xenophobic. We take care of our own means we don't necessarily take care of those who are not our own. But this certainly cuts against, this is, uh, I, I think, an affront to how most uh, liberals, indeed most modern people, understand themselves. Um, um, we want to be inclusive. We want to be generous. We want to be caring. But then we have the problem of figuring out, well, um, the, the really grievous suffering on this planet of our 7.2 billion people is is almost none of it is, is here within the borders of the United States. It's in countries Countries that have incomes that are only a fraction of ours, if if alleviating suffering is really what we're about, we should uh, shift a great deal of our efforts away from the United States, away from the prosperous first world, and to the third world where people are suffering most acutely. Nobody makes that argument.
0: You know, it occurs to me that I haven't actually told our listeners until this moment when I'm about to um, what your history is. Just quickly, your curriculum vitae, so to speak. Uh, You are, of course, a political scientist uh, trained at Loyola University here in Chicago. Though Now you're uh, out in Claremont, California, uh, where uh, you—and that's after a long term at the John Olin Foundation uh, as one of their major program officers. But now you are— and have been for some time senior editor of the Claremont Review of Books. Clearly that's a uh, philosophically conservative and a very intelligent conservative um, publication, which I have read with great interest over the years. Um, but I'm going to ask for uh, the liberalism uh, in its uh, concern with uh, applied pity uh, encourages – Empathy, empathy by all means. Mm-hmm. Uh, what em- With what kind of empathic understanding can you look at the liberals and account for them uh, in uh, positive or at least in tolerant terms?
1: Yes, well, I um, make that effort. I, I don't claim to succeed always, but I, I try to... Uh, um, uh, you you know there's this uh, economist at George Mason University, a fellow named Brian Kaplan, mm-hmm. who has um, uh, put forward what he calls the ideological Turing test, um, and according to which um, you've really succeeded in understanding uh, a political position that you oppose if you can summarize it so. Discerningly and scrupulously, that an adherent of that position, um, hearing your description, would not be able to tell that you were a foe or friend of that, that point of view. So when I hear my fellow conservatives say, ah, well, liberals, they're just, they get up every morning and all they want to do is to make the government bigger and to intrude on people's lives more. Uh, they're not really concerned about the poor. This is just a pretext for growing government. It's a cynical effort by the sort of the, um, the kind of welfare state racketeers to, uh, to uh, uh, profit from uh, misery. Um, my reaction is, let's let's try to take um, liberals and liberalism sort of at their word. Um, I think they are people who really do want to help. I think they are people who are genuinely concerned about the suffering they see around them. And so my, my critique of them uh, tries to start from, from taking them at their word and seriously and then say – even if you you sort of grant for the sake of the argument all of these good qualities about uh, liberalism that that they see in themselves let's then look at the the implementation problems the the logical and practical comp- consequences and contradictions that Lead to the to our our efforts in social welfare being so much less satisfactory than the the investment we put in them would seem to dictate.
0: Of course, you really, uh, in the deepest at the deepest level, it seems to me, um, you are somehow convinced that programs initiated for the best of reasons, uh, but which are intrusive or at least get into. Uh, a a social system and try to alter some crucial aspects of it by giving money away, by changing education in one or another direction, by reorganizing the distribution of medical service or of pharmaceuticals or what have you, that uh, programs are sort of fated, I think is something you deeply must half believe or half perceive, that prog- all programs are fated to failure because um, Uh, they violate the natural rhythm of things. The natural rhythm of things is best served by, essentially, market forces.
1: Well, I think that um, my friend uh, George Will uh, uh, sometimes says that the most important words in the English language are up to a point. Um, Uh So I I agree with that, up to a point. Um, I I think that... um,
0: You agree with what's up to a point?
1: That uh, mark, uh, the uh, importance of relying on market forces.
0: And do you agree that they, that uh, design programs put into strong force, uh, no matter what good intentions lie behind them, will inevitably work out badly?
1: Inevitably, I think is too strong. I, I say there's a, a strong tendency that can be. Um, uh, sort of justified empirically by looking at the track record in the entirety of the uh, social welfare state in the United
0: States. So Murphy's Law applies. If anything can go wrong, it will. And with social programs designed to improve things, uh, something will go wrong, if much will go wrong
1: what i like about markets as opposed to government intervention is this in the markets there is a corrective feedback loop when things when you put out an edsel um, the market tells you right away that we don't like this it doesn't work in government too often that corrective feedback loop doesn't work franklin roosevelt uh, eighty two years ago spoke of bold persistent experimentation experimentation sounds fine but it works better in the laboratory than out in the world. Out in the world, you try these experiments, and if they don't work, they've nevertheless, they've acquired constituents. They've acquired people who are committed to them and don't want them, no matter how poorly they're serving the purposes they were originally designed for, um, have uh, find ways to leverage points within the political system that prevents the experiment from being canceled.
0: Um, one, uh, a side issue, a sidebar, uh, which fascinated me as I was beginning to read the book. Um, the uh, to illustrate that liberals, perhaps more than conservatives, are prone to display that they are people of compassion and of passion as well; that they are persons of feeling rather than merely of cold intellect. You go to the Democratic convention uh, in which uh, Al Gore was nominated, and you go to the uh, lengthy embrace. Uh, The lengthy kiss between Gore and his wife, seen on camera by all of us. Why? Um. What does it symbolize?
1: me, it, it uh, tells us that um, Bill Clinton, with, with a, a remarkable political skill set, sort of in the 1990s, defined the role of the president as something not in the Constitution, as the empathizer-in-chief. He was the president who could, no matter um, what your problem was, he could feel your pain. Yeah. He could empathize. He could comprehend this. And Al Gore's difficulties to me symbolize an awareness that this that the Clinton had sort of established uh, the outer limit of that effort that uh, only people with that uh, set of we might almost call them theatrical skills could be could try to do this so to to out Clinton Clinton was a big mistake. And, and indeed, the next Democratic president was a much cooler character. He speaks of empathy and kindness. But his um, Barack Obama's um, what was remarkable about him uh, compared to a politician like Clinton is the sort of emotional distance. That well, I, I want to come
0: Trump. to Obama in just a moment. But, but mm-hmm. uh, let me take you back to that, that great uh, kiss before billions. Yeah. W- what does it signify to you?
1: well um it it, it signified that um, uh, there is within the the modern sort of liberal project um, this this belief that uh, kind of uh, uh, visceral um, uh, gut emotions can are are a trustier uh, guide uh-huh. for us than uh, any kind of um, um, uh, Cerebrations We don't want to uh, think this thing too clearly. We just we, we know in our heart what's what's right and what's wrong. Um, so I mean, I, I and I think this connects to a way you know the the modern liberals starting from the New Deal are the um, the uh, they, they come to us as the um, the next iteration of the progressives of a century uh-huh. ago. The ism of progressivism was a belief in progress, the belief that social scientists understood the laws of history as well as natural scientists understood the laws of physics and had created new technologies and, and new discoveries.
0: But progressivism may have begun with the La Follette's up in Wisconsin, but in fact, it goes way back to Theodore Roosevelt, a Republican, doesn't it?
1: That's right, Roosevelt. It was. It was actually it had more of a home in the Republican Party than the Democratic Party yeah. centuries ago. Not. Not really until Woodrow Wilson did it become, in a sense, a bipartisan phenomenon. But what happened, I think, after World War II, after these terrible wars, after the. Uh, the the astonishing demonstrations of totalitarian uh, cruelty in, in regimes like Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union was that uh, the progressives, in a, in a sense, they, they lost faith in progress. The idea that, that um, there was this known future out there that social scientists um, understood and they would become this sort of priesthood of guides to uh, uh, accelerating our progress to the future, that became much harder to sustain. So compassion uh, an emotional response seemed in a way like a a safer bet. Um, People couldn't be persuaded that the experts necessarily knew the future, but they could be persuaded that the the common emotions that everyone shared were a basis on which we could uh, safely govern the nation.
0: We are uh, recording, we're taping this conversation the night before President Obama is scheduled to come on national television and present uh, his uh, intentions for an executive order that will somehow legitimate the continued presence in this country of, we're told, some 5 million uh, illegals who have been resident here for some time. Um, Is that a matter of pity or compassion or is it a matter of political calculation? Because ultimately, such people and uh, the relatives and friends they have who are already citizens might be all the more prone now to cast their b- ballots and thus their fortunes with the Democratic Party on into the future.
1: Yes, well, I don't think it's an either-or question between compassion on the one hand or political calculation on the other. Sometimes they they, um, they mesh together very nicely. And um, certainly it's... it's um, uh, we were talking about the, earlier the partiality of compassion. It's, it's certainly no. Um uh, no coincidence that um, the liberals tend to feel most compassionate about those who um, they see as um, important elements of a winning democratic coalition in the uh, years ahead, and to be less concerned about the uh, suffering of those who they think in any case are not going to be part of that coalition um, this uh, uh, apart from the many things that have been are being said this week as we speak about the um, the legality of uh President obama's proposed policies about uh, um, the uh, whether or not uh, the president uh, really ought to have the power to simply not enforce laws that he uh, doesn't uh, uh, regard highly. I think that uh, we see this uh, selective compassion in in the context of something that um, Democrats, in in other respects, like to talk about a lot: the, uh, the increasing income inequality and the difficult pressures on uh, lower working class Americans. Well. Um, it would certainly seem that um, the, the first thing you ought to say about this situation is that uh, it's, it's very harmful to people who uh, do not have college degrees, who are trying to advance in an increasingly difficult, difficult job market, that um, what we need to do here is to expand the, mar- the labor supply and to have more workers competing for the number of jobs that are out there.
0: You know, um, as I as I've been reading your book, The Pity Party, I've not even given its full title, uh the subtitle A Mean Spirited Diatribe Against Liberal Compassion by William Vogley. Vogley, by the way, is spelled V-O-E-G E L I, and the book is published by Broadside Books, uh, which are edited, and I guess the publisher is an old friend of mine, Adam Bellow, the son of that other Bellow. Um but um As I read it, a question raised by Gilbert and Sullivan uh, comes inevitably to mind. Uh, The guard standing out in front of the houses of parliament sings in Eolanthe, I often think it comical, fa-la-la, fa-la-la, that every man, that every boy and every girl that's born into this world alive is either a little liberal or else a little conservative. (laughs) Fa-la-la. (laughs) <laughs> what really are the origins in individual life histories or in social uh, 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 background or what have you that make uh, people early in their lives potential liberals and potential conservatives? And for that matter, a very modern sort of question that one should add is what makes them change? Because some do.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, my, th- my thinking is um, that... Um, the most political differences ultimately come down to different views of human nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that the liberal and the conservative disposition um, part ways on this question, because uh, those who are liberal uh, following, let's say, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's thinking, tend to have a more hopeful and optimistic view of human nature to think that um, It is not so far-fetched to believe that we could all get along peacefully, harmoniously, um, in ways that are mutually affirming and supportive, and that if we can simply remove the defective social structures that prevent it, that uh, peace, harmony, uh, reconciliation is within our grasp. Conservatives, I think, tend to take a more wary view of human nature, the sort expressed in the Federalist Papers, the idea that if men were angels, no government would be necessary. But since clearly they are not, we need a government that is very restricted, that prevents the government from abusing us, that um, prevents people from taking advantage of one another through the government. And so I think that um, if, if, if you Try to press down on that difference between liberals and conservatives. It it ultimately comes to a disposition that that is one of those things that people I don't think acquire by reading books. They're not they're not argued into it. They just they sort of have these these different viewpoints about who we really are as human beings.
0: But, you know, uh, that I, that all sounds quite reasonable to me, but still it leaves something unanswered. Uh, why do certain groups go so strongly in one or the other direction? And I have in mind something quite particular. The group that I belong to, that is American Jews, uh, essentially secularized mm-hmm. uh, persons of, the, of Jewish background, are to a very large extent uh, on the Democratic side of the ledger. Other conservatives who are Jews are very upset about that, and increasingly <laughs> say to their brethren, for Christ's sake, well, no, not for Christ's sake, for Moses' sake, I suppose. Uh, 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 we're not being, we, we are not being well served. Our cousins and brothers and sisters in Israel are surely not being well served by the Democratic as opposed to the Republican Party or by liberals as opposed to conservatives. But they do, they, American Uh, more or less secularized, middle-class Jewish persons. They remain loyal to the Democratic Party. How does one account for that?
1: Yes, well, I think that... um people who do what I do for a living, write and talk about politics, uh, it, it's a humbling sort of thing to realize the extent to which um, all of our syllogisms are simply tennis balls against fortresses, that, uh, that people that sensibilities are, are much more, uh, for most people, a much more profound uh, political force, socio-political force, than arguments about policies or philosophies or ideologies. And I think that uh, politics... Um, for a great many people, is not philosophical, intellectual. It's it's it, it's kind of tribal in a way. It's uh-huh. we, we want to be with the party or the the political movement that seems like our group, and uh, we're opposed to the one that seems like their group. Um, you mentioned um, you mentioned my my tenure uh, uh, before I became a Californian with the uh, John Olin Foundation. So I moved. Uh, to start that job to New York just before the 1989 mayoral election, uh, which was a fascinating uh, um, uh, thing to go through. You, you had um, the incumbent mayor, Ed Koch, seeking and ultimately uh, being denied a fourth term in office. He was defeated by David Dinkins. There were a couple of other uh, candidates in the Democratic primary. Um, this was a very bad time in New York history. Um, uh, the the, uh, the city's finances were in bad shape after the '87 stock market crash. Crime seemed to be out of control. The city really seemed to be um, uh, careening uh, and and out of control. And, and and somehow in in the course of these debates among these four candidates. Two big issues emerged uh, abortion and capital punishment. Uh-huh. And what was striking about these issues was that the mayor of New York has absolutely no power to do anything about either one of them. Um, and I took uh, the lesson I drew from that was that the pointlessness of that debate was the point, since people were sort of saying, well, we're pretty much giving up on the idea that government can really. Manage itself can perform city services capably can can uh, combat crime. Um, we're going to we're going to go to the next and more basic level of politics is we want to uh, elect candidates who sort of are in our group and and are, are uh, not in their group and and these big cultural indicators of questions like abortion and capital punishment, um, though far beyond the, the scope of the duties of the mayors, were indications of, are uh, you one of us or are you one of them?
0: Yes, but you know, if I may stay with uh, my preoccupation with my, my own reference group, it's just one of my reference groups, but it's a real one. <laughs> um, uh, neoconservatism was in some sense um, w- well, was heavily staffed by Jews. As it, as it got off the ground, why was that?
1: Um, of course,
0: many of them we, formerly uh, extreme left. As a matter of fact,
1: oh yes, that's right. We're talking about uh, people like uh, Norman Pedoritz and yeah. Irving Kristol. Um, well, I think the first thing to to say about the the neoconservatives of the nineteen sixties is that they. Um, for quite a while did not think of themselves as neoconservatives, but as neoliberals. They, uh, mm-hmm. That is, they, they thought of themselves as uh, critics from within of the liberal project. And it was only um, for those neoconservatives when they realized that their, their sensible, sober um, Um, arguments were being completely rejected by the mainstream of the Democratic Party, that they concluded, wait a minute, we we don't have the home where we thought we did. If we want to um, pursue a sensible critique of what uh, the liberal Democrats are up to, we cannot do it from within. We have to do it from, from outside. And that's it was over the course of the late 60s and 70s up to the um, election of Ronald Reagan in 1980, that many of the leading figures, Crystal, James Q. Wilson, found themselves as Reagan supporters, as as Republicans.
0: Um, we are almost out of the available time. Let me give to all, once again, the full title of the new book by William Vogeli. And Vogeli is spelled V-O-E-G-E-L-I. The title, The Pity Party, A Mean-Spirited Diatribe Against liberal compassion, though some of your early reviewers have said it isn't really mean-spirited at all. It seems to show a good deal of understanding for them, and you don't seem to be hostile so much as uh, just in significant disagreement with uh, liberals uh, caught in the midst of their compassion. You mentioned William Crystal, and he says of this book of yours, William Vogelis' The Pity Party is almost for me. Uh, for me, the highest praise possible. Vogeli's insight into the challenges facing American democracy is gripping. His explanation of the appeal and danger of liberal compassion compelling. His account of what might be done in response enlightening. Now all thoughtful students of the American experiment will have to be Vogelian.
1: <laughs> a word i had never heard used before, but it was a very welcome uh, uh, endorsement from Mr. Crystal. That was nice.
0: And you've been very welcome here. I thank you so much for joining us tonight.
1: Thank you, Milton.